Welcome to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com, where the discovery of self has put a show away. With a thousand plus archive shows and new shows coming to you every Tuesday, we bring you illuminating people from around the globe. Visit our store for their services and books and enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters. I am your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Dr. Rick Asuno. We're going to be talking about fibromyalgia. A lot of people just uh, hear the name and they really don't quite know what it is. Is it arthritis? Is it um, muscular pain? What is it? And it has been very, very misdiagnosed for very many, many years. I've had it for over 20 years now. And uh, believe me, it was very frustrating to have anybody actually explain to me exactly what fibromyalgia is. And, you know, was it in my head? Did I really feel this way? What were the obstacles? Why couldn't I do anything about it? And then I went to see Dr. Rick Asano and he explained out of 31 points, I have 29, which made sense. But also it was the first time I really felt that somebody had taken me seriously about it and understood what it is. And that's because he's dedicated 20 years to understanding fibromyalgia and is a leading doctor here in Vancouver, BC, Canada on the subject and exactly what it is. Uh, that we're dealing with, how we can deal with it, um, how to understand it and how to get uh, others to understand what it is as well. It can be very debilitating um, it most certainly has its challenges. It is very frustrating and of course the more tense we get about it, the worse it is for us. But how do we recognize it? How do we recognize that maybe it's just a little stiffness from being over-exercised or you know the weather making your knees and everything else creak? How do we actually understand fibromyalgia? And first and foremost, what is it? So let's welcome to the show Dr. Rick and actually find out what is fibromyalgia and what can we do about it? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Fibromyalgia is a very misunderstood condition and it's still not uncommon today to have physicians think that this is a psychological problem. And part of the reason for that is that it's an invisible condition. Mm -hmm. Just like chronic fatigue and some other conditions, when you look at a patient, they look okay. And the assumption that's made is that if they look okay, they feel okay. But most of these patients actually have considerable suffering. And that suffering is made worse by the misunderstanding by the medical com community, insurance companies, employers, and even family and friends. So uh, I'm quite happy to be able to disseminate some you know, good news about this condition. The interesting thing is that I ask my students, I teach at UBC, how many, uh, how many hours of training have they had on this during medical school? And the answer is invariably zero. Then I ask them, well, what's, what's your take on this condition? You know, be frank, no political correctness, and words come up like frustrating, malingering, um, psychological, psychiatric. And I say, well, if you haven't had any training on this, where did you get this attitude about this condition? And invariably, the attitude comes from the clinicians that they're training with. Mm -hmm. Luckily, mm -hmm. especially in British Columbia, we're making a big uh, change in, in that. So what I try to explain to them is that fibromyalgia is part of a family of conditions called central pain syndromes. And the way that I explain that to my patients is, and this is a true story, m my car right now has the engine light, the warning light to is on. And I took it to the mechanic and there's actually nothing wrong with the engine. And so the mechanic checked it out and the problem is with the warning light. So what I tell patients is that your pain is a warning system. And sometimes there actually isn't a reason for pain in that area. So they check out the engine, they check out the muscles, the bones, everything looks fine. And what you have is a problem with the warning system itself. It's generating pain messages that go to the brain and that are experienced the same as if a patient was having that much pain. And we know that it's not just a subjective complaint, 
but there are studies done with functional MRIs, and those are MRIs that look at where blood flow goes. And we can look at how much the pain areas in the brain light up. And what they do is they attach a clamp to a patient's fingers, and they put pressure, and they see how much it lights up. And with a, with a person without these central pain syndromes, put a little bit of pressure in the clamp, on the clamp, and the brain doesn't light up very much. You apply more pressure, and it starts to light up. In patients with fibromyalgia, sometimes just touch mm-hmm. will turn on those pain fibers. So it's a central pain syndrome. It's misunderstood. We have an uphill battle to work with medical students, residents, physicians, but luckily there's lots of good evidence for treatment in this patient population. It is a very frustrating disorder and, and um, because it is so fatiguing. And it's, it is. You know, it's not like you could say to someone, yes, I have cancer, I have heart disease, and they kind of can get their head around that. You know, when you right. say, I have found, but, but, you know, you look all right, you know, you're walking mm-hmm. about all right, but why are you tired? You know, we haven't done anything mm-hmm. yet, and yet you're exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they've just, they can't relate. And it's so hard to explain. And also mm-hmm. you feel a little kind of embarrassed sometimes, especially if they're irritable and unjudged, most certainly. Uh, you mm-hmm. look all right, it's just psychosomatic, get over it, it's mind over matter. Well, I'm afraid I've had these conversations with my body, and I can, to a certain point, you know, um, maybe help a great deal with my, with obviously a pat- positive attitude in the way I look at it. But when my body wants to speak and wants to be heard, it's going to make sh- it's going to let me know on no uncertain terms. No amount of happy thinking is going to get you out of this condition. No, no. But stress and obviously is an aggravator. So it's you know obviously de-stressing your life is very important. But it's certainly not the cure, is it? It's not the cure. It's definitely an aggravator, and the fatigue that you mentioned. So I mentioned the central pain part of it, but there are a lot of other features that go along with. Uh, fibromyalgia. So in addition to the pain, patient often, patients often have disabling fatigue. They will have headaches. They may have depression. They may have uh, irritable bowel or stomach issues. Um, their symptoms may get worse with stress. And about 55% of patients also have a, a condition associated with it, which is chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. And we know that chronic fatigue syndrome is a mitochondrial disorder now, an inability of your body to produce energy. So there's no psychosomatic component to these conditions. They are physical conditions. The medical community is just behind the times in terms of recognizing this. Um, I recently wore um, a wearable health um, a thing like a watch and it measured mm-hmm. your sleep patterns and walking and this and that. And I found yep. it very, very interesting because uh, no matter what, I don't sleep any deeper than one hour a night. And I can be yes. in bed eight or nine hours and I might get another four hours of surface sleep. Yes. A- and that seems to be the pattern. So, it d- you know, it always feels like you, you never catch up and you never can rejuvenate. You know, it's just you're always on tired. That's right. And that's actually a symptom I forgot to mention in my list before, is that sleep disorders are part of the diagnostic criteria for this condition. (laughs) There's a study that was done with medical students many years ago when I was a medical student. And what they did is they brought medical students into the sleep lab and they hooked them up with all the brain things. And then what happened was whenever they were about to go into deep sleep, somebody would sneak in the room and move them just a little bit to get them out of deep sleep. And they did this for five nights in a row. And after five nights of not achieving deep sleep, they started to have aches and pains. The interesting thing was that there was a subgroup of them who didn't get aches and pains, and they were the exercisers. And this is where the concept of sleep being important to these conditions and exercise for those who don't have chronic fatigue syndrome uh, being important to these conditions. But restoring and improving sleep is, is one of the levers that we can pull to help the, you know, the quality of life for patients with these conditions. And boy, do we need that quality of life uh, improved. Uh, you know, I, um, I'm 62 young. I've had this for at least 20 years. Um, I've got so much that I want to do, but it holds me back 
because mm -hmm. I don't know when an IBS attack is going to do. I don't know if somebody's going to demand more energy from me than I can give. And it's, mm -hmm. it always is one of those things is that you really, you know, enthusiastically would love to do. You're capable of doing it, but your body says no. And it's, um, is there anything we can do to actually help, you know, get into that deeper sleep pattern or, uh, as you say, like, it's, it's almost like our batteries are never recharging, are they? You know, can we replace that's the right. battery? <laughs> well, that, well, that's, and that's part of the theory about what happens with deep sleep is that during the day when we use our brains, we accumulate some of the byproducts of, of having done that work. And deep sleep is a time where we kind of flush the toilet, get rid of the garbage of the day, and get ready for tomorrow. But when that stuff accumulates and you don't get deep sleep and your brain can't refresh for the next day, you have a, a cumulative process. Because the other thing that patients with these conditions have is severe brain fog, where mm -hmm. they have problems with memory, multitasking, word finding, concentration, uh, dealing with, you know, range of stimuli at the same time they get overstimulated which shuts their brain down oh, have i still got you yep nope. I, I can understand all of those i can i can fit into every single one of those things and you know um having found this poster you know blurry vision you know i would just thought okay my eyes are you know are failing uh, dry eyes. I thought, oh, that's just mm -hmm. allergies, right? Nausea. Well, mm -hmm. maybe it's something I ate. You know, I knew the body aches, uh, but, you know, the, the dizziness, I felt maybe that comes from the insomnia. But when you kind of mm -hmm. look at all of this, and it's I anybody with any one of these things, it's an irritant and it can have effect on their life. But it really feels like we're under attack because, you see, said, there's, a, what, 31 points to fibromyalgia? Yes. So that's yes. a lot so for one body to take on. It is. And it also, you also give a, a good example of why it's hard to get a diagnosis because our medical system is very specialized and nobody looks across systems. Mm -hmm. And also, if you go to see your family doctor, there's a lot of limits on how many symptoms you can bring up in one session. Yes. And so family doctors don't pick it up and specialists don't pick it up because they're too focused on one piece of it. And, of course, there yeah. is the proverbial, uh, you know, oh, you've got this, let's give you this drug. Yes. All right? And that very often could be an aggravation because it's not helping everything else and it can throw everything off balance. That's right. And too often that one thing is depression. Yes. Where it gets blamed on. Yes. Um, yeah. Having had it for 20 years and, uh, as I say, not having any answers, you know, when I f came to you, you, you know, you could finally actually tell me, precisely what I have and it wasn't in my head and I wasn't going mad um, you know I've had oh you just need to exercise if you did you know this every day physically you know your body would get ba uh, better and you know what I know with fibromyalgia you could be physical one day but the next day forget it your body shut down um, yeah. and it's you know it's I'd love to be able to count uh, exercise is still important for us isn't it but we just can't do it at the same level that's right. And, that's, and you, you're talking also about the overlap between chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia is the mitochondria are dysfunctional. And the mitochondria are the energy factories in the cells, and they have a limit. And the way that I explain it to, to my students is kind of like borrowing money from the mob. <laughs> if you need to borrow an hour of activity today that is too much for you, tomorrow you'll feel beat up and you'll pay back with huge interest. So it may take you 12, 24, 48 hours or even more to pay back that one hour of doing too much. Yes. Yeah, I know that one very well. And we really do have to get to know our triggers. I mean, we really yes. have to learn to be very in tuned with our body, you know, register when those triggers come along. I've got overtired. I've got over anxious. Um, you know, I'm going to pay a price for it if I don't pay attention. That's right, and that's why techniques like mindfulness can help, mm -hmm. but even cognitive behavior therapy, because even though this is not a psychological illness, a lot of the barriers for patients to take care of themselves have to do with our Western view of push yourself, push through, try harder, uh, people that feel guilt if they're not doing something, people that can't say no to other people. So there's a lot of things that come out just in the way a person lives that can make their condition worse. 
Yes. I, I know I've tried to explain it to people. Um, I come from a family with heart and, and uh, cancer. Um, and, you know, both my, I was recently visiting my brother and sister in the UK and they've both had, you know, um, either heart attacks or cancer. And it's, well, what is this fibromyalgia? You know, um, how does, why does it do this? Why does it do that? It is so hard to explain it to anybody um, because you also feel that if you actually went through the list of what it was you're either bragging <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or, or you're kind of looking for the violin you know and it's mm. no this is just what it is it's like you've, you've got a combo here right and that's why I do an event called family and friends education and we bring in people's families part of it is to give them some some information about the science and to explain the concepts, but the real goal of that uh, those sessions is not education. It's actually understanding and mm -hmm. empathy, because we go through a couple of exercises where we try and get them to imagine what it feels like to have this, and then also another thing where they can understand that even though they feel fatigue, this is a different kind of fatigue. Even though they've had muscle aches, this is different. So although they believe they can relate to what's happening to you, the reality is that they can't. Yeah. Um, one of the things uh, I also have is the myofascial pain, which also just yeah. a few years ago interviewing somebody with the fibro-optic fascia for the first time understood. And you talked about the touch. And, you mm -hmm. know, I call about, you know, the volume when your volume feels like it's at full swing and you can have somebody just run the hand down your arm and it feels like somebody's slicing it open. Um, that's you know, right. that's when I call myself at full volume. Um, and it, but I only just touched you. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> well, that's a great example of neuroplasticity gone bad because over the last decade or two, we've understand that brain and nerves actually do regenerate. And one of the things that happens is normally touch and pain are sent to the brain through different fibers. But what happens with fibromyalgia and with other central pain syndromes is that there's a crossover between the wires. And so new little sprouts grow out and the wires connect. And so when I touch the touch receptor, it actually sends pain down the communication line for pain. So it's experienced exactly the same as pain. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and believe me, it does feel that way. Now, yes. how does, I mean, I don't know how I got fibromyalgia. I know that I went through an extremely stressful period. A house burnt down, my son broke his femur, my marriage fell apart, all in the same year. And, you know, that's when I noticed, like, the irritable bowel coming on. I already had some aches and pains, and I just thought it's, that's my body. But how does someone get fibromyalgia? Well, you also mentioned you know, irritable bowel, and already mm. we've got three that we've been talking about so far, which is irritable bowel, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and all of these fit under the umbrella of something called central sensitivity syndromes. It's not a thing in and of itself, it's just a group, a categorization. And there are other things that go with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and irritable bowel syndrome, including migraines, restless leg syndrome, temporomandibular mm -hmm. disorder, pelvic pain syndromes, post-traumatic stress disorder. They all have a similar um, risk factors and precipitating factors. So the way that I think about it is who's at risk of getting this? And there are two things that we know are risk factors. And one of them is genetics. So if you have anybody in your family who has a history of fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, irritable bowel syndrome, migraines, all of that list of conditions, you're genetically predisposed. But just because you're predisposed does not mean that this will manifest. So it's kind of like a loaded gun. You're walking around with a loaded gun, but something has to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. And that trigger is some kind of stressor. Yeah. And we know that it could be a physical stressor, like a car accident. It could be an infectious stressor, like mono or other infections. And it could be a psychologic stressor. For some people, it's one big thing, like a home invasion. Mm -hmm. For other people, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's just too much for the system to take, and then the, the stress system gets stuck to on. And mm -hmm. that's why you get all of that, you know, and that's why it involves all the systems in the body. 
Yeah. Is it... I mean, the fiber optic is your wiring, isn't it? It's from your brain going through your body, sending all the messages That's for right. everything to work. Um, yep. You know, is is it a, a, a CPU thing, like something going wrong in the brain with all the messaging going through? It's it's all levels. So what happens is, you develop when you have fibromyalgia, you develop more nerve endings, so that you actually double up, triple up, quadruple up on the number of messages that get sent from the same stimulus. So it gets amplified even just at the periphery. Then at the processing level in the spinal cord, there's usually mechanisms to downregulate pain. Those go offline with fibromyalgia. And in fact, they do the reverse. They upregulate pain. They sensitize it. If this happens over and over again, it's a bit like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the bigger it gets, the stronger it gets. So the pain system actually grows and mm. it gets a life of its own. And so it just takes a little thing to trigger it, but the response is way out of keeping with what happened in the periphery. It also has spontaneous firing. So you'll get messages from pain even when you don't touch yourself, just sitting there. Yeah. So all of this is happening at the level of the nerve endings, at the level of the fibers, at the level of the spinal cord, at the level of the brain. So it's a very complex uh, complex system. But the you know, parts of these, these processes are not different from pain in general. So patients who have chronic osteoarthritis can also get a little bit of central sensitization. So part of their pain is the pain system itself becoming too strong, too independent. And for those patients, we actually treat them the same way as fibromyalgia. So they have their reason for pain, their osteoarthritis, plus a mini version of fibromyalgia added as a layer to the cake. Is it uh, common for someone to, to get arthritis when they have the fibromyalgia? Because I know I have both, but is, is that a yeah. common thing? So for patients who are predisposed, the stress of having an illness like um, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or any other conditions and this is something that's changed even just this year. In the past, they used to say you can't make a diagnosis of fibromyalgia if you have another condition that causes pain. But many doctors, myself included, have noticed that this doesn't make sense because the other pain syndrome, the arthritis or the myofascial pain syndrome or whatever else, is just throwing gasoline on the fire of fibromyalgia. Mm. And so the new criteria that have just come out for fibromyalgia have removed that requirement that there not be another cause for pain. Right. And so it's very common for one pain syndrome to start and then it spreads like a wildfire and it involves the entire body and then it becomes fibromyalgia. Now you talked about post-traumatic stress. And, yes. you know, I've noticed in this 20 years of having this, which I think I probably had it longer, but, you know, I was diagnosed, um, actually 98, I think I was 97, 98, I was diagnosed. Um, I have noticed through the years that I have got a lot more sensitive to things and more, I don't want to say traumatized because I don't want to use that word, but just say more intolerant of certain things, yes. get shaken up a lot more. Is that quite common yes. for people who've had it for a long time, that the intolerance gets less as you grow older? Yes, there's two, there's two main reasons for that. Because one of them is that same metaphor that we used of the exercising pain system. Well, with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue and related disorders, the adrenaline system, the fight or flight system of the body revs at a high level. And so it takes just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Some patients feel like they have more anxiety. Other patients are able to distinguish this is not a brain anxiety. This is a physical sensation. But what happens is if you just trigger that system, it's now hypersensitized and, and overworked and responds very easily. No. And so that's... Sir, go ahead. No, I mean, fibromyalgia, as you said, it really is in the only like, uh, you've been doing, studying it for 20 years, and it's really only, you know, kind of now recently that people are beginning to understand it, it, it you know, uh, the all of it. Um, yes. You know, it's, if if a patient is, is automatically kind of going to get worse as they grow older, because basically, you know, that fire is keeping on burning, isn't it? Um, That's right. You know, what, what do you 
think is going to happen to a, to a patient over the long term? Well, luckily, patients can can do a lot of things to mitigate that increase over time. So, for instance, if you learn relaxation techniques, and that's why I'm a big fan of mindfulness, mm-hmm. is that you can learn to downregulate your your adrenaline system. Mm-hmm. And so that's why meditation and mindfulness can actually be a counterbalance. Because what often happens is that patients uh, amplify it by the way that they behave. Yes. And that's why we do cognitive behavior therapy. So, you know, we have patients who uh, a letter comes from the insurance company and just the, the letter itself, looking at it, triggers an adrenaline response and a stress response. And then they are thinking that they're going to be living on a street in a cardboard box. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they are not aware that they're entertaining those thoughts and that they're fueling the system as opposed to kind of saying, oh, here I am, I'm triggered a little bit. I need to take a deep breath. This is just a letter. I don't have to worry myself for anything. Let's just open the letter. Or maybe now is not a good time to open the letter. Right. But we, we see a lot of patients who, because of the physiology of the stress, that their brain kind of runs like a little rat in a cage. Mm -hmm. And they kind of continue to run because they don't realize that they have some control in saying, hang on a sec, I'm not going to let this overtake me. And these are some of the skills that we teach people in our groups. Which are very, very much needed. I know I had to look for myself because obviously I didn't have any help um, until now. Um, you know, I, the anxiety and the depression sometimes can be so overwhelming. And, you know, my head can rationalize, you know, oh, wh- why are you feeling this way? There's no reason to do this, ba 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 But the body and the depression is in its cycle. And, uh, yeah. you know, I have to kind of go through it. And for me, I have found, you know, the music is my meditation. And, yes. you know, I play various types of music and it removes me from myself and allows what I call turning my volume down. Yes, that's exactly right. And acupuncture can do that. Mm-hmm. Listening to music. Some patients uh, go into infrared saunas. Some patients go into those sensory deprivation tanks where you float in salt water. All of those things that calm the system down. And one of our physicians here at the CCDP, the Complex Chronic Diseases Program, is an acupuncturist. But she combines acupuncture, acupuncture with techniques on calming the body, calming the mind, calming the system, mm-hmm. turning the volume down. Well, I've used acupuncture in the past, and I swear by it. You know, if you've got somebody who really knows what they're doing, it's amazing because quite essentially it's letting the chi, the energy run through the body, isn't it? It's without those exactly. blockages and keeping the flow there, the flu- you know, the fluidity of energy. The other thing you mentioned was infrared sauna, another thing I love. I can't take a regular sauna, the heat. I don't know if it's something to do with fibromyalgia, but I can't take extreme heats, extreme cold or extreme heat. Um, but yeah. the infrared sauna is just wonderful because I find, especially with the aches and the pains, it is wonderful at releasing that. And for some patients, something as simple as lighting a candle, listening to music, mm-hmm. and having a deep bath, you know, a long bath, is a good way of de-stressing. Watching a funny show and having a good laugh is a good releaser as well, isn't it? <laughs> One of the best, yes. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned depression. Mm-hmm. And depression often coexists with this and that's why I always make the distinction that the depression is the result of the illness it's not the cause and there's two reasons for that one of them is that this has a huge impact on your life it has an Mm. impact on your dreams it has an impact on your relationships it's no wonder people get depressed but the other thing is that this condition is also associated with a depletion of serotonin Mm. So that can also contribute to the depression. That makes so much sense. Um, Because, you know, I can be completely, you know, upbeat. You know, I I run these radio shows, which is my lifeline, you know, um, sharing stories, giving people hope, you know, sharing tools and things is is something that uh, keeps me going. Um, And then I can get depression out of nowhere. And yeah. if, I, if I look at it, it's generally coming from, you know, either there's an anxiety or in a lack of sleep, um, yeah. even less sleep than what I normally get. Um, and, and it's unreasonable. As I said, you can't reason with depression. 
Um, no. So I, I didn't know if it was something that was kind of, you know, an her hereditary thing or, you know, through lifestyle. I didn't know it was a part of the fibromyalgia, but it certainly makes sense. And yeah. and there are very yeah. frustrating times when you just feel, you know, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> yeah, and my family doesn't understand me and the insurance company yep. wants to cut me off mm -hmm. and my doctor doesn't want to see me. Mm -hmm. Where do I turn to? Yep. There aren't any answers. Nobody understands it. How, you know, yep. how can I explain this? Um, you know, there's there's no physical evidence per se. And mm -hmm. and yes, it gets very, very frustrating. Absolutely. So what to do about it? First and foremost, if anybody thinks that they have any of these sy symptoms, and, you know, we're talking irritable bowel, I'm just going to go through a list here, just so, you know, people sure. get a little, the cognitive impairment, fibro fog, uh, morning stiffness, dizziness, insomnia, 18 tender point, uh, uh, points, body points, sensitivity to light and sound, body aches, nausea, dry eyes, anxiety, depression, weight gain, uh, feeling cold, fatigue, blurry vision, chest pain, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic head uh, headaches, and muscular pain. And I don't know if I've missed anything out. I'm sure I have. But, you know, just some of those. Is that, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you have the fibromyalgia, but if you've kind of ticked the box on a number of these, it could be very likely. Yes. And that's why I think, you know, the, the thing that's been good for us in the province of British Columbia is the fact that the government has helped set up this complex chronic diseases program. It involves the university, it involves physicians who are uh, regarded as not fringe, and so it's given a lot of legitimacy to the conditions. We've also been involved in a number of educational um, programs across the province, and we do even little one-pager uh, continuing medical education for the doctors just in one page. How do you diagnose fibromyalgia? How do you diagnose chronic fatigue syndrome? And it goes out through UBC to all the doctors in the province. We have resources online for not only patients, but for all the doctors who want to use our protocols for treatment of pain, what we suggest, uh, what where the evidence lies. Because interesting thing is that fibromyalgia, if you ask a regular doctor, how much evidence is there for treatments that work? And they will tell you none. In, in fact, there's over a dozen treatments that have randomized controlled trial research to show that they benefit patients with these conditions. Mm -hmm. Some stuff is simple, like stress management. Some stuff is medication. Some stuff is acupuncture. There's a whole gamut, and that's why it's great. I've been taking care of patients with these conditions for 20 years, but I've been doing it as a solo practitioner as part of my, my practice at St. Paul's Hospital. But now with the, the clinic here, I have access to dietitian, acupuncturist, trigger point injections, social worker, pharmacist, nurses, nurse practitioners, social workers, counselor, naturopath. It feels like I'm, you know, before I was driving a Honda Civic and now I'm driving a Lamborghini in terms <laughs> of, of you know, the, what I feel like I can do. Right. Yes, because, you know, you, obviously with all of these particular conditions, there isn't a one pill that fits all or one treatment no. that fits all and you have to address everything. Let's take actually nutrition. Um, you know, yeah. I know there's been, you know, many a person I've interviewed where, you know, they talk about fibromyalgia, they clump it in what they're treating and they'll talk about turmeric as an anti-inflammatory. Um, mm -hmm. And it certainly does help, doesn't it? But of course, it's not the yeah. cure-all. No. And that's the whole point. I like your idea of you know the turning the volume down. Mm -hmm. And that's the metaphor I use for patients is that maybe improving your sleep will turn the volume down a bit. Yes. Stress relief will turn the down, volume down a bit. Trigger point injections will turn it down a bit. Uh, you know, learning to not be hijacked by your anxiety thoughts, turn it down a bit. Treating depression, turn it down a bit. But you're right. There is no one silver bullet that makes a patient whole and normal again. And there really isn't a cure, is there, completely? No. I mean, you can improve someone's life, but there, there really isn't a you know, nice golden fix for this. No. And 10% of patients improve spontaneously. We don't know why. Mm -hmm. Do they ever get rid of it completely or just improve? Well, I always 
I've worked with patients for a long time now that those who get better, I caution them because mm-hmm. I want them to think of it as a remission mm-hmm. rather than as a cure. Right. Because the concept of remission means that you're at risk and unless you continue to take care of your body and that you can't go back to the lifestyle that you had before, you know, up nights, working late, uh, self-care being you know, second in importance, that you really have to continue to pace yourself, continue to have to deal with stress well, because you never know. You know, you might be in a small fender bender with your car, and this could be triggered all over again. Right. It's really something that we've just got to learn to manage, right? You know, if we've right. got it, we, we're going to live with this for the rest of our lives, pro- most for the most part. Um, you know, I, I do know from, you know, as getting older, I've become slower and it's become more prevalent. Um, and so you just really have to be more mindful and look to those particular ingredients um, that will help you manage it. That's right. And that's why that's the big focus of our program is on self-management. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you the patients who do the best with these conditions are the patients who are go-getters and who want to take um, who want to work collaboratively but want to be in charge of their care and want to move forward. The patients who come to us hoping or wishing that we have a magic pill and that aren't willing to invest in any of the self-care stuff and aren't willing to do the groups or aren't willing to, to try stuff on their own, those patients you know, fare very poorly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, it, we, we say this today and everything, you know, you have to take ownership and responsibility for your own body, um, you yeah. know, for your own life. And, uh, you know, this is not something you hand off to someone else. You've got to be a participant no. in your own health. And, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I know it can be difficult, you know, the, the obstacles that are in the way. And, 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 of course, one of the big things is that, you know, again, the way people perceive you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you might be an upbeat person and then your body doesn't match that and they don't understand it. That's why That's right. we're doing this show, right? We're doing this show to educate right. people as to what it is um, that nothing is your fault. You didn't do something to get this. Um, it's just part of your DNA makeup. And That's uh, right. and don't ever feel guilty or, or apologize, you know, for the fatigue or having to back out of something, you know, saying no or having a bad day because that's part of the condition and sometimes you just don't have any control over it. And the funny thing is some patients stress over the things that you mentioned and that only makes them worse. So the guilt, the stress, the apologizing, that adds to turning up the volume. One of my patients I think has has developed the the most um, functional way of dealing with this and telling people because he used to be, he was a software developer. He developed a huge company worldwide, used to do TED Talks, uh, quite famous. And overnight, he was unable to even answer email mm-hmm. and he, when he developed this. And so when friends call him up and say, you know, we'll call him John. And we say, John, do you want to go for a beer? And, and he, his response is humorously, John would love that, but John Light can't do that. Would mm-hmm. you come over for a cup of tea, yeah. bring some Starbucks, and stay for 20 minutes? Yeah. And so that's his way, uh, without being too heavy, mm-hmm. of reminding people that he's not John anymore. He's John Light. He can't do what he did before. He would still love to do those things. He still wants you in his life. He still wants to do stuff with you, but he's got limitations. Yes. And so I think the way that he's approached it is a very um, functional way. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter how productive you are in in your head, so to speak, you know, in what you do. Um, you know, there are days that you just have to shut down. Um, yeah. And you, you know, you can't be around people, you can't do anything. Um but you do have to find something that can help you out of it. You know, uh, funny enough for me doing these shows, I can come to the computer and I'm wondering how I'm going to get through a show. And then, you know, for me doing this is such joy um, that it helps me, you know, and I can come out of it feeling so much better. So it's like therapy for me. Um, That's right. But, you know, you're describing it. No, no, but people want me to do public speaking and fly here and fly there. And I would love to, but, you know, speak to the body. (laughs) That's right. 
Well, you're describing the process of what we call de-identification, is to letting go of the identity of before, because that can also be a stressor that keeps people down and makes them worse. Yeah. That, you know, I can't, focusing on what they can't do, and not looking for, how, how can I find joy in my life? Because mm-hmm. if you set yourself up and say, I'm never going to have joy in my life again if, unless I can do such and such and such, well, you're right. You are never going to have joy right. in your life. As opposed to saying, that was great when I was able to do that, but now I have new limitations. Let's see where I can find joy in my life within the context of what I can do. Now I those think are the people who... They're the ones that those are the ones that learn to manage it, right? You know, and still have a productive life. Now, you know, um, I was invited to this fibromyalgia. uh, um, It wasn't, I don't know, not a clinic. It was a talk, and Mm -hmm. um, my friend said, "Don't say anything, sorry, just listen." And at the end, I had to, (laughs) because this entire session from the uh, from the person there is, I know it hurts. I know you're in pain. I know it's crippling you. And I thought, if they didn't come in with pain, they're going to go out <laughs> with pain, you know? And, yes. and I, I had to say something. And, you know, I see that, you know, we, we are what we feed. And, you know, yes. if we're going to feed the misery, then that's where we're going to be, you know? Um, and, it, and I think it was more him feed, you know, a little bit of a kind of a vampire there <laughs> it's, it's so that's unproductive right. <laughs> and that's and that's why you know one of the things that we explore in our groups is the concept of pain suffering and joy mm-hmm. and people say well how can you have pain and joy and even the idea of those going together seems impossible and one of my patients after group sent me a card that really captures this concept and she and the card says life isn't about weathering the storm it's about learning to dance in the rain mm-hmm. absolutely and i think those people who can embrace that that aphorism are the people who do the best you know we have to adjust in life you know it's yes. uh, we can be a shorter or a long book but we're going to have many chapters you know and many paragraphs there and there is nowhere, in no way, I'm anywhere near the same woman I was, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Nobody is, but I'm especially not. Um, yeah. I'm surrounded by people that are very physically upbeat for their age and out doing this and out doing that. And it's like, yes, I wish I could, but no, I can't. So where is That's my right. productivity? You know, where is my energy going that's still productive? We have to look for another avenue, don't we? Because we all that's need right. a meaningful purpose in life. That's right. And if your focus is on the past, you can't move forward. Yeah. And so what I tell patients is you can't drive a car, you can't move ahead looking through the rearview mirror constantly. You've got to look out of the screen and you've got to just forge ahead. Right. Exactly. Also, look upon it as, as an adventure. You know, I can't yes. do that anymore, but what can I take from that in knowledge and in tools and apply to something else? The funny thing is, is... Um, uh, this is actually my uh, fifth anniversary of radio shows of hosting and how it came about was through depression and uh, when i get depressed i need to be proactive i need to go and help somebody because it helps me through it and i wrote an article that somebody read and then looked at my site and said i think you should have your own radio show so we have to look that you know sometimes out of negativity comes positivity and we have to be That's willing right. to adjust and try something new because I didn't know that five years later and 1,800 shows on my own network is, is, was going to you know, be global concern it is. That's right. And the interesting thing is that this is really a non-Western approach to life. It's really an Eastern Buddhist philosophy mm-hmm. about imper- impermanence and acceptance. Is if you believe that things should stay the same and you you focus on regret about what you can't do you can't enjoy the moment you can't be in the moment now the thing is with fibromyalgia it's a little bit of a partnership isn't it you've got to learn to have a partnership with the pain you've got to learn you know it's like this other ego there then that sometimes wants to be louder than than you want it to be but you've got to learn to have this kind of synergy partnership there and when you do i find that if you stop fighting it 
and just That's go, right. okay, you, you know, you're another identity there and you learn to listen to each other. You know, we're going to have a, a, a fairly well-balanced um, existence. That's right, because the fighting increases the stress mm -hmm. and actually makes it worse. Yeah. So it's a very zen disease, you know, just like with the exercise. If you do too much, you get worse. If you do too little, you get worse. So it's about knowing your body, listening to your body, not fighting, but finding a balance. Yeah. And these and are principles that people should be using in their lives, regardless of being ill or having fibromyalgia. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. So someone is in a doctor's office. They think they have several of these things. You've got a wonderful little video here that's A on the page, but also on your site of somebody going to a doctor and what the general things the doctor says. No, it's in your head. No, just go and exercise. No, just go and do that. Um, the empowerment for the people who feel that they've got something more than what can be explained, you know, what would you say to them when they're speaking to their doctor? Well, I would, you know, uh, for a lot of, of the doctors, it's a question of not knowing. And unfortunately, a lot of doctors, when they don't know, they, they feel powerless and don't like that feeling and don't like to see those patients. So I think if you, if you come in uh, from a point of view, let's work on this together, because you asked me how, how did I get into this, mm -hmm. is that I like to work collaboratively with patients. So when I was you know, faced with patients that I didn't know what was going on, I didn't say, sorry, can't do anything for you. I said, well, let's, let's navigate this together. Let's you know, think about it and maybe come up with some ideas of how we can help. So I think if patients go in not with a, uh, a confrontational approach, because a lot of patients have been treated poorly by their doctors and they don't realize that they take a confrontational approach when they go see their physicians. Mm -hmm. so, so a collegial uh, a, a team approach, but you might even do stuff like you wouldn't believe the number of times that patients have brought things into me that I've incorporated into my practice. Mm -hmm. And so you might even print something from our website about how to make the diagnosis and print out the sheet, fill it out yourself, and bring those both to your doctor. That sounds a very good you idea. Might, you might bring in the referral form for our program so that your doctor doesn't have to go fish it out on the Internet and doesn't know about the program or where to get the form. Um, so I think working collaboratively and you know, letting your doctor feel like it's okay for them not to know. Yeah. But what you want for them is to be compassionate and to kind of walk beside you through learning and understanding. And, you know, um, I, when I was first diagnosed, was given some drugs that were a trial. And I went on them for a while, and I, I did not like them at all. And I handed them back, and I said, sorry, I can't do this because, you know, I know my body. It says no. And, uh, you know, I actually got persecuted from that, got attacked on That's that. That's right. And, uh, yeah. you know, we, we have to stand tall. If something does not feel right and you don't feel comfortable with it, you have every right to say no. That's right. And that's why our approach is always to be very collaborative. This is our menu of things that we can. So I have some patients who, who prefer a non-pharmacologic approach. And so for that, that's great. We'll just look at other things. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to work with them or yeah. I'm going to belittle them. It's just this is not something that I want. Right. And the reality yeah. is that a lot of you with these conditions are very sensitive to medications. Yes. And then. part of the problem mm -hmm. is that doctors start at too big a dose. So all of our protocols online for the doctors say what dose to start at, how often to increase it. So there's lots of support for family doctors while patients are getting into our program. But I don't think that you know, if there were a cure for this, maybe we would push it. But to try and push medications or somebody who doesn't like needles to push acupuncture or any treatment, uh, you know, I don't think that that's ethical. I think also the first thing one needs to do is actually understand this is a change in life. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, there is, you know, before anybody can address the body, you have to address the mind. You know, your lifestyle is going to have to change. Um, you know, don't beat yourself up a bit. How are you going to talk to your family about it? You know, educate yourself on what it is. And then, 
it's a discovery for yourself of what you can and cannot do. Um, That's right. And, you know, you've got to be willing to take that journey and, and, you know, understand that what worked for you a year ago may not work for you this year. So now you've got to try a different approach. But when you do find something that works for you, you know, it gives you that confidence when you feel that trigger coming on. Ah, okay, I now know what to do. And, you know, the only thing of the irritable bowel, that is one of those ones that sneaks up on you um, and hits you anytime without any warning. Yes. That one I'd love to get under control. (laughs) 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 There are some moments, it's the wrong time. Work with our naturopath. Our naturopath will have some ideas for that because some of the best treatments for irritable bowel syndrome uh, come out of the uh, nutraceutical rather than the yeah. pharmaceutical. And that's the thing, that's a, a diet, you know, your diet, uh, um, you know, the wonderful herbs and nutritions that you can take. No, they're not going to cure, but what they're going to do is strengthen your body so that it has more ability to cope. That's right. And even stuff like a low inflammatory diet. Yeah. You know, we have some patients who, by going on a low inflammatory diet, can get a 10, 20, 50, you know, sometimes even 30% reduction in pain just by going on flu- foods that are less inflammatory. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to be willing to change. You've got to be willing to be, ex- you know, exploratory. Um, you know, just uh, just because it didn't work this time, it, you know, it may work later if you'd with a slightly different approach. Um, mm-hmm. It's an ongoing thing that you've got to be willing to do, um, because I'm sure there's constant discoveries as as well as other techniques and other things that can help. Um, and it's uh, again make friends with it, uh, not enemy. That's right. Really important. Um, you are based here in B- in BC, Canada, and this is obviously going around the world. Um, you people can download information from your site, um, which right. uh, which they can take to their doctors wherever they are. Um, and all all of our protocols, all of our education material. We want to disseminate this. None of this we want to keep privately or just to ourselves. That's why we put it on the web for anybody who wants to use it. Right, and I have the link here. It's a very long link. Do you have a shorter version? <laughs> well, the, 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 the best way to patients navigate is to go to bcwomens.ca, then choose Health Info, then Living with Complex Chronic Diseases, and they'll have all of our resources. Right. I do have it here on the posting as well. Which, uh, so, you know, you can, you can actually look and see for yourself. And if you think that you're ticking off a few of those boxes with the fibromyalgia and, you know, you're tired of feeling tired or, you know, you know that your body is just not responding to the way it used to, um, you know, download the information that the doctor's going to need. Take the information of the boxes that you're already ticking and then, you know, book some time with your doctor and say, I really want you to listen to me here. Let's see what we can do together. That's right. Uh, no matter where you are. Are there any countries that are a little more embracing uh, of this? Would we call it a disease or disorder? What would we call it? Well, uh, uh, it's a disease, yes, absolutely. And in fact, there's a big report that came out uh, in 2015 by the Institute of Medicine, and they were commissioned by the National Institute of Health and the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., to do a review of chronic fatigue syndrome, which we said is 55% in fibromyalgia, and they upgraded it to a disease. And in fact, if you go to our website, and you go to the uh, information that I put, I wrote a thing for our family doctors across the province that the title is chronic fatigue syndrome upgraded to a disease. Right. Because, Because we are now understanding the pathophysiology of it, that it's not just a syndrome, and a syndrome is a collection of symptoms. Mm-hmm. We understand the pathophysiology. It's a disease. Right. So, and, you know, any other disease you take seriously, so you have to take this one seriously. And so we missed the point on, on the, the country. So obviously America is doing something. They're researching into this. Are you finding America, Europe is this? Europe, UK. Uh, there's uh, some research going on in Brazil. Um, but it's all in little tiny pockets because it's not an area that's well-funded. So, for mm-hmm. instance, recently in Canada, there was a $1.2 million um, that was going to be put on creating a network of physicians who do research with this in Canada. 
But when it went out for external review, the the reviewers said this is a psychological condition, it's not a real disease, and I don't think you should fund this. How lovely. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you know, those are the obstacles that you're up against that obviously trickle down to us and um you know, it's you know, it, it, it's ignorance, isn't it? And unwilling to kind of learn yeah. that there's something else. Would you say that fibromyalgia maybe has always been there, but being completely misdiagnosed in the past? Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, the, we had a meeting today at noon. We had a presentation, and a fake case was presented to the to the clinicians just to see what they would think. And they actually presented uh, Darwin. And uh, they gave his history. They never identified him. They gave his symptoms. But Darwin had chronic fatigue fibromyalgia, mm. just not diagnosed because he right. didn't have names for it. Well, as I said, it was only 20 years ago that I was. And, uh, you know, there was a battle even during that time um, mm -hmm. for people to actually understand what it is or, you know, yeah, it's just psychological. So really, it, it's still in its infancy in, in, in understanding what it is. Absolutely. But the good news is that, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen a huge change. It may not seem big to outsiders, but I've seen a change in patient advocacy, asking for rights. I've seen uh, physicians who are not considered fringe participating in it. I've seen governments put funding into it. I've seen universities get involved in it. So I'm hoping that the effect becomes a snowball and that it accelerates um, over the next decade. Well, I mean, now the government is recognizing it, you know, um, maybe, you know, recently as, as a disease, but a syndrome enough to actually, um, y you know, consider people disabled from it, which I've been yeah, considered right. disabled from it. Yes. So and it I spend a lot of my time fighting insurance companies mm -hmm. and even, even uh, the province and the country on getting people disability status uh, because they don't understand this condition, because on some days you look completely normal, uh, they think you're malingering. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're capable, just go and get a different type of job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they have no idea that you have the good days and you have the very bad days, and you just, you know, you can't say what is when, you know. Um, no, and, uh, you know, one, one of the worst things reliable. is getting... Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, that again, it doesn't mean you can't be productive in something else. It just basically right. do, don't go and get productive using the body. Use your mind. <laughs> do something else. Find something else that you can do, whether it be online or doing something else at home that you can work within your own parameters. But, you know, the worst thing you can do is sit on your butt and doing nothing because now you're going to increase that depression. Uh, so it's That's just right. a question of finding something else to do that you can do, but that doesn't rely on the body. That's right. So challenges are there. You know, as I said, I've lived with it for a long time. You know, it's really great to truly understand what it is that um, I had because no one could really tell me. And, you know, I often used to think, well, you know, is am I making excuses? You know, am I inviting this? Could I do more for it? And, uh, um, you know, it just it takes the pressure off when you know, look, this is your obstacle. And, uh, you know, when you make friends with it, when you make peace with it, when you know how to cope with it and you don't let anybody else dictate what you should do, um, you, you just find a happy medium in life. Yes, I agree totally. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this here. You know, it, again, it's something so misunderstood and misdiagnosed. Um, and, you know, you've given empowerment to people who have it a certain validation that it's not in their head, that it is real. And in a, in a way with it being upgraded to a disease, maybe it will be taken more seriously now. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not that we want to walk around with disease label on us. It's just that with that label, people then understand that this is most certainly an obstacle that's in your life. And, that, you know, people can recover from heart disease. People can recover from cancer, you know, remissions. Or, but this is something that's going to stay with us. You know, we've That's got right. it for lifer. Well, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Um, definitely a pleasure. Thank you very, very much. And folks, if you do have, you know, if you think you have any of these symptoms, please go to the site. I'm going to give it to you. Um, it's living, um, it's actually, hang on a second. Let me just open up the link there. It's uh, www.bcwomens.ca slash health 
dash info living with illness dash um, living with complex disease uh, chronic disease so basically you'll find it at the BC Women's Hospital Health Centre and you'll find everything there I do encourage you to go and uh, have a look there's a lot of information there as I said this wonderful little video that is a wonderful uh, way of explaining what it is and um, get your family to listen to this um, and uh, understand what it is that you have so you don't feel so alone because you don't have to be and there you can live a very productive life with this you've just got to know your parameters you know how to keep your volume down and how to um you know how to live a very fruitful life in a very different way so thank you uh, dr asano for being with us here today and for all the wonderful information my pleasure until next time folks bye for now